Broadcasting live from the SHRM 2021 Conference at the Las Vegas Convention Center, it's time for Workplace MVP, brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health, crisis, and security solutions. Now, here's your host. Hello, everyone. Jamie Gassman here, your host of Workplace MVP, and we are broadcasting from the SHRM 2021 conference here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And with me today is Donna Fitzgerald. She's Chief People Advocate from ProSymmetry. Now, Donna, I understand you also have another title. Can you share that title with us and, and talk to us a little bit about how you, how you came into these, this role? I'd be delighted to. So my other title is Chief Product Evangelist. But what I found with the HR space is that it just implied I was only interested in pushing a product. And that is, anyone who knows me, that's so not me. Because the reason, after I retired from Gartner, the reason I came back to work was because I really felt that no one was taking a look at the fact that People weren't liking their jobs. The engagement rate was, disengagement rate was going up. And we've got great work and great jobs, but we've got to clean up some of the mess so that we can get the right people in the right place at the right time. And the best way to do that was software. And software in this case really has changed the world. And people need to stop looking at it as we're shilling something, but more saying, now with SaaS, you could buy something for very inexpensive comparatively, and it's going to let you do things you've never even dreamed of doing. Interesting. So you came out of retirement. Out of retirement. And joined ProSymmetry. And um, so now are you, and I understand you're working with a, a product, Tempest Resource. So yes. are you kind of part of the development of that, or what, what's your role with that? Well, so I worked for Gartner for 10 years. I was a research vice president. And one of the things that the team at ProSymmetry wanted was not only my years and years of knowledge in what we could do to help people better get to the right work, how we could make strategy get executed. So I'm, I'm not really working as a product manager, which I've done before, but more as a chief advisor and somebody talking to our clients because clients have business questions and I spent 10 years on the phone answering those questions at Gartner. Right. And well, and there's so much power in talking with your client directly, right? And <laughs> yeah. hearing what their challenges are and what they're experiencing. So now I understand. So we're here in the expo and I know you presented at the Strategies and Innovation Theater. Yes. So talk to me about what was your presentation on? So one of the things, and I think it's really important for everybody to understand, is if we want to get strategy executed, which is what we have to do in the post-COVID world, we can't just keep pretending it's business as usual. We've got to keep looking at what's the right thing to do right now, knowing that an event might happen and we're going to have to change our minds. So we've got to be agile. We've got to be flexible. We've got the knowledge to do this today, what we need, and this was the important message, we need finance, we need HR, we need the PMO, and we need resource managers to all get together and work together to solve the strategy to execution pipeline and not burn people out. Yeah. 
HR brings something to this that the typical, you know, let's just look at projects doesn't because it starts reinforcing career growth. It starts making sure that people get reskilled and upskilled, but not in an onerous sense, in a sense where they can say, God, I really want to do that for a living, or I really want to learn that. And that's what gets me excited. Yeah, like helping them find their passion almost. Absolutely. Because yeah. you get a different caliber out of your employee when you're putting them in something that they really enjoy. I've been privileged to actually manage quite a few programs and projects in my life. And I've had such incredible creative teams. And now when I talk to people that they're burnt out and they're quitting, and now if you burn out a software developer... They leave the profession, and we can't afford that. So I'm going, why do we want burnt-out, unhappy people when I worked with people who loved what they did and knocked it out of the park? And same caliber of people. So what's the difference? Yeah, interesting. What do you, in, in, from your perspective, in, in the conversations you've had with clients, in the research you've done, on this topic, what do you think is some of the reasonings for the burnout? Is it workload? Is it just the balancing of home and life? What, what are What's driving that? It is the workload, but not for the reason people think. Interesting. So I talk to lots of people who say, well, you're on this for 25%, and you're on this for 25%, and you're on that for 15%, and then, you know, I will kind of find something else for you to do because oh my god you're underutilized and the answer is no you're being driven to distraction because if you have to do brain work and software development and engineering which is really the areas I focused in that's brain work you kind of can do two things maybe in a day if you can break for lunch I talk to clients who tell me, oh, well, we have an estimate of a 1,000 hours. And I go, is that a 1,000 hours of work by one person over a certain period of time? No, maybe we'll assign four people. Well, do you realize if you assign four people, that's 1,700 hours worth of work mathematically? And they go, huh? Huh? And yet we can prove it. We have the hard data. We understand the way the brain works. And yet people keep doing it. And that's why we get burnout. So when I was younger, people worked on a product. They worked on a project. And this is what Agile is trying to do. But Agile has a hidden problem that they're just letting people randomly pull things down off the backlog that may have nothing to do with the same product. They may be help tickets, they may be this. And again, can't, you're not actually working to complete a body of work. And it's the completion that makes people fulfilled. Oh, absolutely, like they've conquered something. You know, seeing that product come to conclusion makes a huge difference. You know, in, if it if it's it's idle or it continues to just you know extend out, people tend to feel almost defeated and overwhelmed. Uh, I wouldn't be able to recite it uh, 
full, but there's a something from the Tao Te Ching that talks about governance, and it says that if the emperor does it right and quietly, at the end, people will stand up and say, we made this. Wow. And that, to me, says, why would we take that away from people, especially when it's cheaper, faster, better? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So with your product and that strategy, you know, from kind of almost like that full kind of pipeline or the chain that you were mentioning, you know, talk me through what different, how does that help an individual, like a a, a business that's trying to manage this or get to a better place? What are some of the things that can help them to solve? Well, fundamentally, the first thing you look at is resource capacity planning. So I take companies, you tell me what your strategy is. Now, most companies, according to HBR, have between three and five strategies. So let's figure out how much of people's time, because people are the scarcer resource than money in today's economy. So that's critically important to understand. So how much in terms of people hour do you want to put into each of those strategies? So when you have the people hours, you can say, all right, how much work can we do with assigning people to get things done? We don't need 15 projects starting in January, all running scattered with people all over, and then something will go wrong. It's the first rule of project management. One of those ideas is going to be a disastrously wrong thing, which we all do. Well, then this house of cards doesn't work. But if we say, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to stop. The reason I've been in the Agile movement since the beginning, basically the 90s, and the reason we who advocated Agile were advocating it was because every time you ship software, you change the nature of reality fundamentally software is evolutionary so that says if you tell me I want something that does ABC and I and then I want DEF and I tell you no I'll give you ABC then you live with it for a month or so and then I'll give you DEF they'll never ask you for DEF they will never uh, they might ask for F but they'll ask you for two other things because once they live with it and see it they realize oh, well, now that I can do that, this is what's really important, and I didn't see that. And I I can see this because I've been basically around software for the last 42 years. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And this rule has never been violated in my working career. Interesting. So you've kind of watched it, like, evolve into now. I mean, obviously, software is, you know, large industry and lots of different types of software and you've got AI and all these other technologies coming into play. So this really could help from that project management perspective in ensuring you're assigning resources appropriately. It it really does and what it it makes everything a community approach. So it's not just I'm gonna dump something on a user group so to speak. It's we're all co-creating because having started 42 years ago we were rolling the dice on everything and I knew the people who wrote 
the general ledger system at the company I worked with, and they're telling me about swapping things in and out of 16K of memory. Now, most of our listeners will have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) No idea at all. But we were all in constant co-creation. Now we've made a god out of process, and it's can we do it faster, 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 and the answer is no, we probably shouldn't do it faster. Maybe we should just stop doing it. Interesting. (laughs) Maybe it doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's the wrong thing. So I want to help people get some of the noise out of the system and really say, is this working? A friend of mine in Australia um, talks about outcomes. Look at where you want to be when you think it's going to work and then slowly, incrementally, walk one step, check, is this still working? You may have to go 30 degrees to the left or right. That's life. Why would we try to pretend it's anything else? And people are wired to do that. That's what human beings innately can do. Right. Almost like a pivoting act. It is. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, over the last year, pivoting has been like our nature. Well, your point is so fantastic because, oh, we can't support people from working from home. Excuse me. What was the average 30, 60 days? (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) How fast can we move? That's who people really are. Yeah. Amazing. Well, if so from your presentation, you know, it sounds like it, you, there was some great content in there. If you if there were like three takeaways, thinking of how you presented, three things that you wanted that audience to be left with that they take back and kind of either it affirms what they're doing or it changes their perspective on something, what would those three things be? Well, I guess one of the things would be that strategy execution isn't just a process of people working really hard. It's part of living so that if I'm on a project, I'm there because I'm good at it or I want to get good at it and I'll work on something else, we can continuously evolve. If we're careful, we structure it, we're constantly checking, is this what we want? Are we... So I want people to know that it's not just a financial work process. I want them to understand that all of it has to do with everybody touching it and we should be co-creating it together. I know that's kind of fuzzy words, especially for an ex-CFO. But I've seen it work. Yeah. Well, there's power in co-creation. That collaboration. Yep, allowing the different thought processes to come into play. Well, and I use the word co-creation because I want to always be focusing on outcome. I do not have a, you know touchy-feely bone in my body. I am really results-driven. We are going to get there or we will know the reason why. And that the reason why may truly exist. Failure is an option if we made a mistake. Right. Very interesting. Well, sounds like your listeners uh, at your presentation (laughs) got some great content from you. And 
definitely some food for thought as they could leave this conference. Um, thank you so much for joining us, well, Donna. Thank you. It's yeah. a pleasure and a privilege. Absolutely. So if, if our listeners wanted to get a hold of you and learn a little bit more about, you know, the concepts you shared or a little bit more even about Tempest Resource, um, how would they go about doing that? Well, probably the easiest way is just email me at dfitzgerald at prosymmetry.com. Uh, and I always have time, you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm quite visible there. And I'm very lucky that uh, our CEO makes sure I have time to answer questions for people. I do spend a lot of time on the phone doing this. So no one should feel they're imposing. I would be delighted to talk. That's oh, wonderful. Well, our listeners, I'm sure, will be happy to hear that, especially with the, the nuggets of great information you left them with today. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. And for those listening, uh, join us at our booth, 4076, and uh, check out the podcast. And while you're there, learn a little bit about R3 Continuum, our show sponsor. We'd love to see you. Talk to you then.